much for coming back from lunch. I appreciate that. I was hoping there would be people in their seats, and there are, so that's awesome. Um, but I'm really happy to be here, again, coming all the way from Cleveland, Ohio, in the United States. And really, the reason I'm here, this talk that I'm going to be giving today, it's really a realization of two things in particular. One is that everything really is a product. There are all different types of products. There's all different types of product people that manage those products, right? But two, and maybe more importantly, we can actually all learn from those product people. Even though those products and the product people might be totally different types of products, we could actually really learn a lot from the product people managing those different products. Now, the first part, that's kind of, um, you know, kind of conventional wisdom, right? Like, of course there's a lot of products, right? There's digital products, physical products, services, if you want to count that as a product, right? But the second, that sometimes that, that might be going a little against conventional wisdom. At least I know for my friends that are product people, I, I've heard this time and time again. Somebody might say something that is a product management piece of wisdom or you know, some sort of, they'll talk about some sort of outcome that happened with their company and their product. And I'll hear somebody else say, man, that's awesome that that happened for them, but my product is totally different. Like I, my company's totally different. My company's way smaller. Like that's nice that that worked out for them, but that, that's not going to be the case for me. And I actually used to think like that too, until I realized that that's probably not the right way to think. Um, now, before I get too deep, I'll back up just a little bit and give you a little bit of perspective about me, um, so you know where I'm coming from. I've spent the last 12 going on 13 years in early stage technology companies as a product person and as an entrepreneur as well. But especially the last few years as co-founder of Product Collective, it's given me, I guess, a little bit of a front row view of product people from really all over the world. So um, Product Collective, we are a community for product people. We have newsletters and webinars and um, there's 3,000 people in our Slack community so they're communicating all the time. And we put on this big conference every year in Cleveland, Ohio called Industry where a few weeks ago we had about 700 product people from 37 of the US states and 13 countries come. So I've had the opportunity to meet and learn from so many of these product people. But um, one of the interesting things for me has been when I talk to these product people, I am, I'm seeing a couple different things. First of all, I see some people like me where they come from tech. You know, when I say I'm a product person, um, you know, I mean technology-oriented product people. But then others, they're coming from much different places. But before I even get to that, you know, as I was starting to meet these different types of product people, it made me step back and think, well, what, first of all, like, what is product, right? Like, I keep saying I'm a product person, but but what does that actually mean? How do you define product? So because we now live in a world where we all want answers instantly, I did what probably a lot of people do when they want an answer instantly. I, what do you think I did? I Googled it, right? So I put into Google, product. What is product? Expecting to see a definition. And the first definition that came up was this from Wikipedia, which is an article or substance that's manufactured or refined for sale. It's a horrible definition, isn't it? Like, I hate the fact that that's the number one result on Wikipedia and Google of a definition for product. I'm confident none of us got into product management to manufacture or refine something for sale. Like, that's not what drives our passion. So I asked the same question to attendees at our conference at Industry, and I got a few different answers. Somebody said, product is any entity that solves a problem. Somebody else said, product is something that fulfills a need. Somebody else said, product is something that clearly changes the way that we live and how we understand life. 
So I don't know if these are necessarily, you know, true definitions, but it's a lot closer, at least it hits home a lot more for me about what being in product is all about than the Wikipedia answer. But again, as I looked around throughout Product Collective um, and going back to that original question that I had for myself, like, what does being a product person mean? I saw product people from all different types of groups, right? Like Apple, PayPal, GoDaddy, Salesforce, these, these folks are participating in our Slack community and they're coming to our conferences. But the thing is, I also saw other types of people. I saw people coming from the Federal Reserve Bank. So people within Product Collective coming from colleges and universities. Um, I even met somebody that she said she's a product person. She was at Chick-fil-A. It's a fast food restaurant. Now, you could think, well, okay, these are the people that manage tech at Chick-fil-A. But her role wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with websites or apps or anything like that. It was manager restaurant experience for Chick-fil-A. To her, though, Chick-fil-A was the product. And that's why she came, was to learn other ways on, on how to better and further that product. So to me, that was kind of a big eye-opener. That was a big surprise. And it got me thinking in particular, what if these different types of product people, what if they were actually more similar to each other than we all thought? Like that person at Chick-fil-A, we, well, at least I'll, I'll say I, I never might have thought of her as a product person before, but, but she really is. She's coming and she's able to learn from other people that are in technology. But if that's the case, then the opposite should be true too, right? Like we in technology uh, products, serving technology products, we should be able to learn from what she does at Chick-fil-A. So I asked that question to myself, I'm like, can, can we learn? As somebody that works in tech, can I learn from somebody that's managing other types of products? And so we set out to have some conversations with our members, but I was specifically wanting to have conversations with people that were representing a wide variety of products. So um, I found somebody that has this product. Now this actually, this isn't an entertainment venue, this isn't a conference, this is a church. This is somebody from Crossroads Church. Um, as you can see, they get quite a few members to their church services. They have all sorts of different locations. But this person, they view church as the product and they're constantly thinking about how we could treat the whole experience as this product. I found somebody um, that manages a product that looks like this. Now, you might look and be like, what, the, the tea shop? Is the tea shop the product? The tea shop's not the product. The neighborhood is the product. There's a real estate developer near actually where I live in Cleveland, Ohio, that branded and created this whole neighborhood called Hingetown. And it's multiple streets and shops, and they have all sorts of events. Hingetown didn't exist before it came along. I lived in that area at one point. Like they, nobody called it Hingetown. Now you call that area Hingetown. Hingetown is his product, and he was coming to learn about how to mold and shape Hingetown as a product. Um, I talked to uh, a product person that has this product, Numa. Uh, now this is an organic coconut water infused electrolyte drink. So it's basically like Gatorade, but for people that like organic coconut water infused stuff, I guess. So, uh, but, you know, athletes, high-performing athletes. Um, but Numa is his product. It's a beverage that you buy in a store, much different than a tech product. And then, okay, I did find one person that manages a tech product. I talked to a product lead at Square. Um, so Square, it, specifically, she works and leads the invoicing product for Square. But Square, huge company, massive footprint, one of Silicon Valley's unicorns, right? But I thought, you know, if I'm going to have conversations with all these other folks that are sort of outside in tech, it'd be interesting to also have that conversation with somebody that is deeply rooted in tech sitting right in the middle of Silicon Valley. Um, and going into these conversations, I made a few assumptions going into them. So 
One of them would be, okay, no matter who I'm talking to, I'm probably going to hear that. Quicker iterations, it's going to lead to a more likelihood for success, right? The more, you know, the faster your iterations are, the more success you'll probably have to get to the right place quicker. Um, but larger organizations will rely more on the quantitative data than qualitative data. I just figured, hey, you know, a bigger company like somebody like Square, they have all this data, you can actually measure that data. I was a product person, startups, that we had no data. We, we begged for that kind of data. So I figured that they would use it more. I also thought that more resources that you have, the better access you'll have to tools that can help in the product management process. And then finally, I thought, well, product people, no matter what kind of product person, they must stay obsessed with their customers, no matter what type of product they're managing. I'll tell you up front, you know, I would love to say I was like four for four. I got one of those assumptions right. So you'll, you'll get to learn about everything that I got wrong about these assumptions, but I think some learnings came out of it. The first assumption that I made, again, it had to do with rapid iteration, right? And I thought the more rapid the iteration is, the more success that people will have. The thing is, as I talk to these different types of product people, what I learned is that in some cases, yeah, rapid iteration, like that's nice in theory, but it's sometimes just not possible. So Numa, that beverage that I had uh, brought up before, in their case, like he's like, I'm, I'm all about iterating to a point where our product is perfect, but I can't just change the beverage every day. Like, in some cases, it's not possible because people buy my beverage in a store, and so the fact that it's sitting in the store, like, I can't just go out the next day and swap it in, and now blueberry tastes a little bit different. You know, it takes a lot of time. And so for him, he's all about the iteration, but it takes a lot of conversations and a lot of taste tests, and even things about the product itself that doesn't have to do with the beverage, the packaging. Like, he wants to iterate that. But even packaging can't be rapid iteration, at least once you're on the shelf, right? There's a, there's a real cost to him when he's trying to swap out packaging with stores. But he has iterated a few times. And in fact, on both sides, on the packaging and the actual beverage, it's just the rapid part of it. I think also, though, um, I'll take that example and I'll talk about Hingetown. So Hingetown, again, it's a neighborhood. Like, don't really think about this as a product too much. And I asked, actually kind of expecting, okay, in this case, it's a neighborhood. I don't know how you can really iterate a neighborhood. And he said, no, I am all for iteration. Again, though, I, I can't just like rapidly change the neighborhood overnight. Um, but but they do iterate the neighborhood. They're, you can change the makeup of the storefronts. Um, obviously, if one store is not performing well and they're not paying their lease, well, you're going to find somebody that can pay their lease, but maybe that's a better fit for the neighborhood. But especially with events, the types of events that they put on, he does have a lot more control over those types of events. But again, you can't change a neighborhood overnight. But when I talked to Square, I thought, okay, but now you know, this is the tech company, right? This, they, they, of course, they believe in rapid iteration. This is the Silicon Valley mantra, right? Well, at least with the invoicing product at Square, I was surprised because the product lead told me, oh, we believe in iteration, but our customers, they don't want or need rapid iteration. In fact, if we rapidly iterated the product, our customers would come against us in droves. I'm like, well, why would that be? It's like the, the product is integrated into the business so much that when you change one thing, now there's, there's learning that the customer has to have. And when the product's embedded into their business, they are very conscious about that. So even Square, even this Silicon Valley company, they totally believe in iteration. You know what? 
probably other parts of the business, they're able to rapidly iterate much more so than this invoicing product, but at least with this invoicing product, it's the rapid part of the iteration that um, sometimes just really wasn't possible, or at least in Square's case, it wasn't something that was really wanted by their customers. Now, on the assumption that I made about quantitative versus qualitative, again, I just thought, well, the more data you have, um, you, you know, you're going to be able to use the quantitative data, you'll be able to run reports, and you'll have all these analytics, and uh, it's, it's true, although, again, qualitative data is data too. You know, you don't want to ignore that. And so when I talk to, going back to... Um, Crossroads Church, as an example, they love data gathering. Like, again, if you talk to these people, you'd, you'd realize pretty instantly, this is a product person. They're just sitting with a product that is so, um, maybe in the tech world, unconventional, but they're approaching it like a product. At Crossroads Church, they said, oh, yeah, we love data, and we do do surveys and things like that, so it's some quantitative data. He said, but the number one piece of data that works best for us, it's our follow-me homes. I'm like, well, tell me more about that. And it sounded a lot like um, when I was reading Dan Olson's book with the Inuit Follow Me Homes. Their Follow Me Homes were a little bit different. They didn't actually follow people home, but they followed people to church. And they literally stayed with that person at church from the moment that they were pulling in the parking lot because they wanted to see, where does this person park? How do they find parking? They were looking at things like, did they bring in their coffee? Or are they looking for coffee once they entered the church? Then when they were finding their seats, they were trying to figure out questions like, well, are, are they looking for specific people to sit with? Or if they came by themselves and they don't know anybody, are they going to gravitate towards somebody? Or are they going to just try to sit by themselves? They followed them through the entire church experience, and that was really, really important to them. So he's like, yeah, we do the surveys, but he got really excited when he started talking about those follow-me homes. Um, and then, but I'll compare that to Square, and I thought, well, again, so Square... Massive company, massive scale, they have all this data. Of course, they're going to use the quantitative data. And they do, okay? They absolutely do. They have a whole analytics suite. Um, but what the product lead at Square said really surprised me. Which she said, yes, we do have all this quantitative data, and it's great to be able to access it all, but we don't make a product change without a lot of qualitative data, too. I said, well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, don't, can't you do like A-B test and so you'll make a change? And she's, yeah, we'll do the A-B test. We don't make the change until we start talking to customers. And I'm like, well, how often do you do that? And she, every single week, it's just a regular thing. Just customers, they, somebody will make an appointment and they'll bring the customers in or they'll go see their customers if they're local. Sometimes it'll be over video chat. But every single time, a pr the product doesn't change unless they have that qualitative data coming in. So the numbers, they're, they're nice. And you know what? In some cases, you heard from Tim's talk, quantitative data may be the way to go when you're talking about purchasing decisions or something like that. But I was surprised that in, in all of these cases, not saying they didn't use quantitative data, but they didn't make the decisions without at least some qualitative data. So you know, I then had an assumption about the resources that people are using, right? And look, at Product Collective, we use all sorts of resources. Um, I use these tools. I, I don't have unlimited resources, right? But I'm using Intercom, and I'm using Slack. And so I figured, well, okay, for these types of companies, probably the more resources they have, the more tools they can use. And that was true, right? Like Numa, Crossroads Church, um, the Hingetown neighborhood, they all, you add them all up, they didn't have as many resources as Square. And Square did use a lot of tools. But when I asked the product lead at Square, okay, you use all these tools, you have an analytics suite, what's the num in the product management process, what's the single most useful tool that you use? Her answer was Excel. 
She's like, we take all this information, and I'm able to do so much in Excel. And just, it, it uh, you know, basically, like, really surprised me, right? Because I'm like, everybody has access to Excel, like, or products that are just like Excel. So even though uh, Square had all these resources, it was Excel that was really her favorite uh, product in the process. But we did get one assumption right. Everybody did seem customer obsessed, right? When I talk to Crossroads Church, and they're talking about their follow me homes, or I'm talking to Numa the beverage company, and he's talking about how, yeah, every week I go to these yoga studios or I go to these sporting events, I want to see my customers using my product and I want to learn from them. Um, they all had that customer obsession, right? So what can you really take away from all that, right? We had these conversations, a whole bunch of product people, but how can we use any of this? Well, I, there are a couple easy takeaways. Like I could point to takeaways like it's important to be in front of your customers early and often have real conversations, don't just rely on quantitative data, you, you know, remember the qualitative data too, or I could say like having all of the tools in the world, like that might be overrated, right? Like you, if you're using your lack of resources as a crutch to learn from customers, you might be doing it wrong. Uh, but I actually don't think that these are the big takeaways. To me, I think the big takeaway is that there are all different types of product people, if you really look, managing all different types of products. Yet the people, they might have, you know, viewpoints and experiences that are actually similar, more similar to each other than we all might think. Um, so when I talked to that product lead at Square, that was actually the last conversation of all these conversations I was having. And I remember at first when I told her, like, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to a church and I'm talking to, um, you know, beverage company and this neighborhood developer. She, she was, oh, really? Okay. Like, you know, I could kind of tell that she was a little surprised by that. But at the end, and I was telling her about these other conversations I had, she got real quiet. I'm like, well, what's, is everything okay? Like, just to make sure you're still on the line. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just taking notes. Like, I can't, I'm learning a ton. Like, I can't believe, like, that the neighbor, you know, you were telling about the neighborhood and how they're iterating. Like, I'm actually jotting down notes for what we're doing here at Square. And so for me, if a product lead at Square can learn from a church, a beverage, a neighborhood, it just makes me ask the question, you know, who can we all learn from? Like, I would actually encourage, if there's one thing that you were to take away from this talk at all, think about your own network. And think about if you know of anybody, if you really dig deep down that, like, look beyond who you know as product people and ask yourself, like, do I know somebody that I didn't think was a product person, but that actually is? Maybe that's a lawyer. Maybe it's uh, an accountant. Maybe it's somebody that provides some sort of service. And the only thing I would ask you to do is take them to coffee. Start digging in with them about their business and their product. Even if they don't call themselves a product person, I bet that they actually really are. And I think that you can all learn a lot from them. So um, I would love to keep the conversation going. I, you know, I'm going to be here the rest of the conference. Um, you can reach me. Actually, we, everybody can join Product Collective. It's an open membership for product people, so I encourage you to do that. Um, again, these are the times where we get together in person. One's coming up in Dublin, Ireland in April. Um, and you could also talk to me on Twitter. I'm fairly active on Twitter at, at Belcito, or you could just email me at mike at productcollective.com. So with that, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it.